This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 12 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company, and I have my co-host here in our virtual studio once again, Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. What's going on, Steve? Hey, Tucker. Going pretty good. How about yourself? Good. We've got a pretty cool episode. We have our first best of Masters in Real Estate. I think that's the name we decided on, right? But we've got Joe back here for what should be a pretty spirited episode of some good conversation and some good topics. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome back, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. I, we've got three topics we're going to cover today. They were all mentioned in the master's group. Two of them had a lot of comments. Some of them had you know, some good comments, some maybe not so good comments, but it, there was a lot of activity, a lot of spirited discussions. So we figured it would be good to kind of carry them over into kind of a panel setting here and talk them out and see what we can come up with. So first one that we've got, we're going to talk about the homeless. Got kind of different ways to describe it, different ways of feeling about it here in the Portland area. Then we're going to roll into referrals. There were some topics on referrals. And then we're going to get into the very spirited debate on whether or not you should be hiring a full-time or a part-time agent. So all things I'm sure we all have strong opinions on. But Steve, you want to kick it off and see what Joe wants to chat about first? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a lively month on the Masters in Real Estate, and we're excited to be doing the best of it. We're going to give Joe a little chance at redemption here in our first topic of discussion. Joe, tell us your post, and obviously being your site and your group there on Facebook, you do post the most of anyone, and you have just done a masterful job of putting up great posts that elicit responses and get people thinking. I think you did this with the best of intentions. In fact, I know you did based on our conversations, but I think it was a little misinterpreted. Tell us about this homeless question that you posted. Well, you know, it's really interesting because two of our topics kind of touch on the same premise, and that is so much is lost in the typed word, right? And that's what's great about the best of masters on your podcast once a month, because we can kind of air out verbally a lot of the stuff that's missed in the texts. So without setting up anything, I'm just going to read the post. And to give you a little backstory, I currently have a listing and there is a homeless person that is in that neighborhood. And my question was, Does that affect the buyers? Do buyers look at it as, hey, it's a homeless person, it's temporary, they'll be gone in a week, or is it legitimate concern? So here is verbatim what I wrote. I always start my posts with the topic in capital letters, and the the topic is homeless. And then it says, the homeless are everywhere, downtown, North Portland, Northeast, Southeast, and many, many other places, just to name a few. How much do you think a homeless flop area, such as a park, bridge or a field has on a listing in a very close proximity, like 50 yards. If the neighborhood is good in general, do you think it should be a consideration? Could it be a temporary drawback at best? Should buyers be worried? What do you think? So that's my question, legitimate question. Do you guys see any problem with the intent of that question? 
Absolutely not. In fact, Joe, you and I talked shortly after this post and we kind of went over it and I thought it was a very, very valid question. And look, let's be real here. Portland has more than its fair share of per capita of homeless people. In fact, the other day I was downtown right there by Voodoo Donuts. It was a Saturday morning. The farmer's market was on. And I was having that conversation with the person that I was standing with. And unbeknownst to me, and it was in a very innocent manner, one of the homeless people, he, and he was a younger guy. There's there's a whole gamut of homeless people. This one looked like he was a surfer who just decided to take a year off. But he kind of heard me. He was laughing. He said, yeah, you know, he acknowledged. He said, you know, Portland is where homeless people migrate to. The services are great here. There's a lot of bridges here. It's already the joke amongst the working people that Portlandia is the place where young people go to retire. So surely (laughs) that that hasn't been lost on the homeless people. So all kidding aside, there is more than our fair share of homeless people here. And mild weather, I think, also is part of that plays into that a little bit as well. So being real estate professionals, and look, Masters in Real Estate is not a Facebook group about community outreach. It's not about donating to to the homeless or or charities. It's a real estate Facebook group, and it's about real real estate questions. And your question is valid. Does this affect the value of a property? And if so, what are the parameters around that? So let's go right into it. What do you think, Tucker? And let's go into some of these comments. Yeah, I guess before we uh, throw it back to Joe on the comments side, you know, I will say when I saw the post, I personally have a property that we're uh, selling. It it was a rental property that I've had for the last, I don't know, 18 months. And, you know, it's down south of Duke, which back in the day, you never went south of Duke unless you absolutely had to, you know, past 52nd south of Duke, right? That's felony flats, essentially, which is now turning into other things. Some people call it hipster flats whatever it may be or may not be. And we've been trying to sell a house down there and I've literally had to pay off the neighbors to keep the tweakers and the homeless out of the front of the house. I had a hedge out front and they used the hedge to hide behind, tie up behind, do all kinds of stuff, try and break into the house. And so it's a relevant topic for me because I'm dealing with it right now. I can't be at this place 24 seven. And so the alternative to constantly replacing kicked in doors and running tweakers off constantly is to pay off the neighbors, right? The neighbors now look out for the place. They're on my payroll, but it keeps my house safe. So it's obviously something that I've had to deal with. So when I saw you post it, I was legitimately curious how other people have been dealing with it. And in terms of selling a, you know, a retail house to a retail buyer, you know, when people come through, unless they're your single band guy, right, that just doesn't notice a lot of the things that maybe somebody who's farther along in life that has family or young kids or something, they notice the random weirdo guy walking down the street, right? Or they notice the person pushing the shopping cart down the street. They notice the bus stop with the congregation of questionable characters. That's just what they notice. So I felt, yeah, it does have a major impact. Whatever you want to call it, you can call it, but it does have a major impact. And I I thought that Joe kind of got crucified by a few people on the thread. And I think that though their intentions were good, I think they missed the point of the post. And that was that these flop areas or camps, in my opinion, do affect the buyer pool for any potential property. Now, there's some people that just pull the wool over their eyes and whatever. They're going to pretend that, you know, everything's happy, happy, joy, joy. But the vast majority of buyers, they see those areas and those types of characters in any given neighborhood. They're going to question it. So I guess my point is, is that I'm glad you made the post and I definitely feel that it was, you know, a topic that should be discussed. Well, you know, it's funny because of this topic, it went down three dirt roads and 
I'll tell you what the three categories are, and we can talk about each one specifically. One was the question at hand, does it affect your listing? And wholeheartedly, it absolutely does, was the consensus of everyone. People who have kids and worry about safety and worry about trash and drugs and everything else, it absolutely has an effect. Where it took its first tangent was someone quickly got mad at the word flop where I said homeless flop area. I didn't think that was necessarily bad. And as a strong advocate of homeless and veterans, I'm not trying, I have no agenda here other than to just state my question. But it got into semantics about the word flop and it means something different. And matter of fact, I just used the word the other day. My wife called and said, what are the kids doing? And I said, the youngest one's on the couch and the other one's flopped on her bed doing homework. I'm not implying that she's a drug user and, and a bad person. It's just a word. But it was that one word flop. And the gal said, can't you say where homeless gather? And other people said, well, in the homeless community, they call it camps. And it's like we're in the society right now where with our political correctness, people are offended on everything, right? So mm -hmm. to make an example, if you have a prison, who are the people that are in a prison? Prisoners. Right. Yeah, bad dudes. Prisoners. You can yeah. also call them convicts. They were convicted, right? Am I running around calling a prison a gathering place for people who are legally challenged? No. <laughs> I like that, though. Prisoners. <laughs> the guy down the street is the gas station attendant. Do I call him the petroleum transfer assistant? So <laughs> the point really wasn't the semantics of be it a homeless flop area. And I addressed this in my post. I said, hey, look. Take the word flop away and insert whatever you want, where homeless gather, where they occupy, dwell, inhabit, frolic, have buffets, whatever it is, where homeless people are, let's get to the point, does that affect the listing? But the third dirt road that this went down is finding out that Portland has the best homeless caregiving for our homeless, and it's a sought out place. So wherever they are, if they're not having fun, they come to Portland, we'll get them fed, we'll give them blankets, we'll take care of them. I'm not saying all homeless are bad. My heart goes out to vets, and I know there's people down on their luck and people that try, and there's a lot of them that simply don't. But I didn't bring up the topic to fight semantics. I brought up the topic for real estate, which is the purpose of the site. Yeah, and it's unfortunate for each other that you can't differentiate. I think we'd all be in a different place and the world would be a better place for the true legitimate homeless people who are down on their luck and need a little bit of a lift and then they'll be back to okay, if you could. It used to never cease to amaze me. There was one off ramp right off the Shoals Ferry Road and I only happened to go there every day because- Oh, I know was, it well, Steve, and I know where you're going with this. But that was Because that was my office there for a couple of different years and there was a person that looked like a homeless person that had a sign that says, everybody needs a little help once in a while. Okay. I agree with that statement. What I disagreed was this guy was there for probably 600 days in a row with that same sign. Your once in a while is over. You clearly are getting help or you wouldn't be there and you're doing nothing to further that help and get away from the help. And that's the challenge with the homeless issue is if there was a way to label them, the ones that are the ones down on their luck for a short period and then they're going to get back up. I think you'd have a line around the block to help them. Myself being, you know, right there with you. But then 
you can't differentiate those other users who are just taking a year or 10 off from working and trying to, you know, be productive in society. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the bottom line is that, you know, I think the post, like Joe said, it went down some dirt roads. And it's unfortunate that just extreme political correctness really kind of took this post down a bunch of rabbit holes that it really wasn't intended to go because the bottom line is that, you know, whatever you want to call these homeless camps, flop areas, you know, whatever, they do affect a marketability of any given property. I mean, I was just driving back to the office today from Southeast Portland. After you pass Burgerville and you go towards the Ross Island Bridge, right before you go under the overpass and then get on the Ross Island Bridge, there's a parking lot there on the right side. And it looks like there's a handful of bums that have decided to make that unofficial camp. So they had tarps pulled up and they've got bikes and just crap. I mean, I'm wondering where they're taking craps, but probably in the corner in buckets. But every time I've gone by, there's been cops there one way or the other, but they're still there, right? So that goes to your point, Steve. In a lot of areas, they're there, but they would be pushed out, gone. They got to go somewhere. But here in Portland, maybe they come, they make sure that they're not blatantly doing drugs in the open or something, but they've been allowed to stay. And I know that's private property. It's a parking lot for the building right next door, and it backs up to some condos right there. So those people in the condos behind it, you know, they can't be ecstatic. And if either of you guys had a listing in that condo that looked over that parking lot, you'd go in for the listing appointment. You'd be like, oh, man, I don't know. Well, how much did you want to list this for? You know, so it does factor in. You know, Joe, there were a few comments that did take the stance that it has little to no impact on the saleability or value. One of them here, I've seen two of them as I'm looking through this. I sold a lovely duplex near 29th and Morrison a few years ago when the market was nearly as strong as it is now. There was a full-on homeless community across the street. When I held it open, I would watch the group wake up, climb out of their tents, make coffee, and socialize. Sometimes I would observe arguing and fighting, which I can't imagine that helps value. They were always kind to me. Their camp was right there out in the open. It sold in less than 30 days for top dollar. Parents bought it for their kids. Now, I will say most homeless people are friendly. I mean, I think the vast, vast majority aren't out looking for problems because they know if they are, they will find them. And I agree with that. But that just kind of boggles my mind that that agent does take the stance that, you know, it seems to not have an effect on value. I think, to be honest, she got lucky. <laughs> uh, so and so too. she's taking that as a universal that it doesn't have an effect on value. <laughs> but she got lucky and she needs to recognize that people that don't have very smart money bought that thing and they overpaid for it most likely at the time in order to buy a place for their kids to live. And maybe their kids are in a band. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> it'd be like saying. Yeah, I sold a house with a, a roof that was shot. So therefore, that is never an issue on any transaction, right? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it brings me to another point is that, you know, the people that were going down one of those dirt paths and, and making an issue about what you call these places. And I think there was a comment in there, Steve, about one gal. And I don't know if it was a guy or a gal, but she talks about how there's a walking path to a homeless camp in like the Laurelhurst area. And she had fed one of the homeless. And so he was nice to her. But do people need to feel like they got to feed them and take care of them in order to make sure they don't rip them off or break in or are nice to them? Like, you know, there are people that buy houses that don't want to have to even make that choice. Right. So I don't know. I just think that it absolutely affects marketability, whether or not the market's hot enough or the neighborhood's hot enough to supersede that sometimes. If that happens, you got lucky as an agent, as a as a seller, in my opinion. But it, I think it definitely affects the marketability. And how do you know what it would have sold for if there that had not been there? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, what's funny is I ask for feedback on everybody. And when you have a listing, there's always a top 10 worst attributes and top 10 best attributes of any property. And when I ask for feedback, 
I think 80% of them said, well, and there's kind of a homeless guy there, and these people have a 13-year-old daughter, and so that's a great concern. I heard that from the majority of the people that showed the property, and that's what spurred the question. And so if I think it, I write it, I wrote it down real quick, wanted feedback. From my assessment of the people that actually answered the question is it does have an effect. Some of the people in the group are realtors, but they have worked in law enforcement and drug enforcement for years and years. And they said, you absolutely will have a drug problem. There's going to be a littering problem. There's going to be violence. There's going to be all kinds of terrible stuff. But some people made comments, hey, when the market's hot, especially if you're getting a condo in the Pearl, it doesn't have any effect because you go in your secured building, you go to the penthouse, you don't see them until you go walk on the street. So I think in some places, having homeless is terrible. Other places, it's a little bit more lenient simply because of where you are and it's just sort of the given. Yeah, there's yeah. more hustle and bustle and it's it's less families per se and more single people and it tends to be single people don't fixate on it quite as much. Yeah, and I'll say one last thing and we can close on this topic and move to the next. But the reality is if you have too much of anything near your listing and I'm I'm mostly thinking of single family homes here, but I and I see where it is different with a condo. I'll give you an example. I've got a listing in Milwaukee right now and for whatever reason on this silly little cul-de-sac there's at any given time 12 cars and there's no parking spots. Each house seems to have about five or six cars and that is a distraction and that is problematic. I've had other listings where there's just neighbors nearby who just have junk in their yard or too much in their yard. Anything like that is a distraction and it's hard for me to imagine that people, you know, in the same manner, having too much of anything nearby isn't going to be problematic to the value of your listing and the marketability of it. And I agree, there's times where you get lucky and the area is so hot it can be overcome, but you'll never know what it would have been like had that not been the case. Yeah, I totally agree. I can feel your pain on the car thing. I actually, we did a house back at the end of 2008, beginning of 2009, same cul-de-sac, well, probably not the same cul-de-sac, but it was in Milwaukee. I paid off the neighbors to park their car around the corner for a week, so we sold yeah. the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, the coldest Smart move. Be, but, so uh, let's go on to the referrals one. Why don't you introduce that one, Tucker? Yeah. So, okay. The referrals thing, there was a post on that and I just want to kind of go through your guys' thoughts on what, you know, what your thoughts are on that post, but then also just in general kind of uh, rules of engagement in terms of referrals. It's a little bit wily at times. I've got a personal story. I'd like to kind of lay it out there without naming names and see what you guys think about who's right, who's wrong, and you know how you would have done things differently. Uh, I'm just curious. But what was the post, Steve? It was something about... I'll, yeah, ahead. I'll read it. It's um, This is from October 6th, so it's not too long ago. So I'm wondering how agents handle referrals. I have given three agents referrals this year to date. All three of them were very responsive and cooperative during the referral form process. Then, once I handed the client off, they disappeared on me. One listed a home about six months after the referral and received an offer and opened to escrow. I only heard about it because I sent emails inquiring. She responded back that she was glad I contacted her because she had, didn't remember who gave her the client. A new referral I sent a couple weeks ago won't even respond to my calls or emails asking if she has made contact with a client. Am I expecting too much for these agents to keep me up to date on the client? And there so were I, some good comments in here. Yeah, but. go ahead. Was there any that stuck out to well, you? 
the, the one common thread that I saw and read and I fully believe with is never give the contact info out until you have a referral agreement signed. Okay. I think that's a fundamental, and this especially applies to out of area referrals, in my opinion, where there's a little bit less of a, oh, they're going to run into you again. <laughs> if, yeah. you're, if you're sending one off to, you know, Tennessee or something. So here's my process, and then we can kind of talk about the threads. I love Zillow for referrals. I love to do a search of the city on the find an agent. I'll then be able to look at past sales history. I'll read a few reviews, and then I'll ultimately reach out to one or two, depending on what I see and like. And then I like to see how fast they get back to me. And then I kind of tell them what I have going on, and I see if they're open to referral. And then if they're in agreement, I'll put together a referral agreement. I'll send it over. And then once I have it back and signed, I will send over the contact information. I keep a spreadsheet with all referrals out. I didn't post this on the master's thread, but had I had time that day, I would have. And I do personally think it falls on you, the sender. Unless you stipulate up front, and that, that's a thought, the agent who's giving the referral could say, will you please, as part of this, send me a monthly update or a weekly update or, or something? And if they say yes, they will, then, then they should. But if you don't do that, I don't know that you have the right to expect periodic updates you know, on their own. It's wonderful if they do, but I, don't, I just don't know if that's reality. Should they respond to you? Absolutely. And that's atrocious that this person's not getting back to her at all. And the one who said, I didn't even know who sent it to me, that's pretty atrocious as well. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of it does fall upon you as the referring agent. What do you think, Joe? Well, I think there's two responsibilities. The one giving the referral. First of all, you need to go through all your sources to make sure you're getting the best people for your clients. You got to do the research. And Masters in Real Estate is outstanding because our arms are 2,300 people strong, and somebody knows somebody that's outstanding somewhere. You can also go through all of the different accredited classes like you know GRI and ABR and CRS and EPRO, where you can search who also has that designation. And then you need to interview these people and figure out who you think is the best choice for your particular people. And then you need to lay out your correspondence like, hey, keep me posted when anything happens. And if nothing happens, I want to hear from you twice a week. You know, just little details. Are you getting showings? Did you get an offer? A lot of times people give referrals for a listing to that broker who is selling that house. And once it's sold, they are moving to that other broker's area to purchase a house. So it's detrimental that you get someone outstanding because if this guy falls down on the job, they're never going to make it to you to do your job. And if that doesn't work and they hire someone else, that could blow back on you a little bit. If you're the person receiving the referral, you should be wholeheartedly offering up, let me send you in a referral agreement right now. And they should send it over. It shouldn't be any problem whatsoever. They should do it immediately figure out what the commission percentage is. They should assure you that they're going to be in constant contact with you because the referring broker is one of the most important people along with the clients themselves. And they need to know what's going on, especially if it's a 
kind of a leapfrog. This closes so the place they're buying through the person who sent it to you can close as well. And they need to assure you that they're going to give them VIP service. So the responsibility is on both sides. And no correspondence, and heaven forbid, forgetting the person that even gave you the referral, it's like that person will quickly be off my list in the future. Yeah, you need a better system. In that area, if that's the case. That's just just an evidence that you're running your business in a very unorganized fashion. If you don't have notes on every client, where they came from, and some detailed, at least in your Outlook contact. Hey, Joe, while we're on that question, let's throw this out there to our listeners. What is a fair percentage? If you have a client who's moving to Florida or Tennessee or uh, New York, they want to buy there and they're selling their house here, what is a fair percentage? And if, if it's the flip side, if they're in New York and they're buying here, what's a fair percentage for the referral? Well, that's an interesting question, and it can be answered, but I want to be cautious not to breach antitrust laws. I'm very sensitive to that, especially on masters, because you really can't talk. Well, let's not say percentage per se. How about this? I got a better way to phrase this question. You think the percentage should be the same, whatever it is, whether you're referring a buyer or whether you're referring a seller? No, I think your percentage should be competitive. And I also think your percentage should sort of match the lead. If someone says, hey, Joe, I have this guy. He wants to buy this place for a million bucks. He already knows the place. It just came up on the market. He wants to buy it. And he's cash, close in a week. I might give this person a bigger percentage because the workload for me is much different than the people that want to buy, you know, a under $100,000 condo and they want to search all weekend long for three straight months. You know, I'm not going to be inclined to, at the end of it, give them the highest percentage, but it doesn't really work that way. It doesn't match the workload. You kind of come up with an agreement of what's reasonable up front, and then you just kind of hope that your workload and and the attitude of these people and their motivation sort of matches what that percentage is. That makes sense. Well, I got some personal drama to throw a scenario out to you guys, and I'm curious. I think I know what your answer is going to be, Joe, but Steve, I'm interested in what your opinion is. So I got thrown into the middle of a uh, referral dilemma, and it started with me going out to dinner with a younger couple, uh, me and my wife, who were looking to buy their first house, and they really didn't know what to do. I hooked him up with, probably remember Howie, Steve. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he used to be a, a partner of mine in my mortgage company. He's since split off and he has his own. So I hooked him up with Howie so that at least there was somebody that knows what they're doing on the financing end and can give him some solid direction. Then they said, well, who should we use for a realtor? And I won't say who it was, but there was somebody that was close to us that was a realtor. I said, well, you could give her a call. Well, it turns out that the people I went out to dinner with, the wife, her mom was also a realtor, but she didn't want to use her mom because she was, she's licensed but not active, right? She's not really doing any business. She just still has her license and active status, but I don't remember the last time she you know, sold or, or listed a home for sale. So they called the gal that I told them to call, and they're all related to some extent. And after looking at houses for a couple of weeks, the mom who's got an active license but not actively looking for her daughter to buy a house tried to hit the other agent who was actively looking for houses for them with a 25% referral fee. Uh, Too late in the game, my friends. Right. Well, yeah. so there's some relation there, right? So it gets a little blurry, but nothing was ever signed. Anyway, long story short is it wasn't addressed at the point that it needed to be addressed fully. It has to be, yeah. Yeah, so it got to closing, 
and it turned into a, a big storm. And basically, the mom who had an active license but wasn't actively trying to find them a house ended up bringing in her principal broker, and principal brokers called principal brokers, and eventually she ended up paying 25% to the mom. Now, my issue with it was, number one, like you said, Steve, it's too late in the game. You got Generally, from what I'm gathering from listening to you guys, is you got to bring that up at the very beginning, get the signed agreement, get the percentage, whatever it may be, like Joe mentioned. It's got to match the workload. In this case, they were first-time buyers, high finance, low down payment. You know, we're in a battle axe market, right, for that kind of stuff. You know, the agent that found them the house worked with them for better part of seven or eight months to actually get one accepted and go through all of the, you know, it's a process with first-time buyers, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, she ended up having to fork out 25% of her. It ended up really sour. And so I guess I'm curious what you guys think. Would you do that (laughs) if you had a kid and, you know, you didn't really want to do the work to get them a house? Would you then ask for a commission for somebody else to go do all the work at full boat, 25%? I would up front. I, absolutely, I would up front. But you have to do that conversation right out of the shoot Because if you do it then, and they go, you know, actually, I don't like... And I get why. Sometimes buyers, buyers, it's a little harder to pay 25% on buyers. I think anybody in their right mind would pay on a listing all day long. Mm-hmm. But... But if you say it up front, then they have you're giving them the chance to say no. If you throw it at them after a week's worth of house hunting, how do they say no? Now they're hostage to you, and they have to go, what? And that yeah. was done completely wrong. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think that you have to make that decision from the get-go as to whether or not you're willing to work for 75%, not knowing what that workload's going to be. People ahead, come Joe. out of the woodwork, too. When there's a deal... Everybody knows a realtor, uh, you know, someone you go to school with, your cousin, your aunt, you know. I mean, gosh, I had a cousin that wrote a deal on the hood of a car (laughs) at a subdivision, not through me. And, you know, it's like, well, tough luck for me, but it happens. And I didn't go after a a 25% referral. The number one question is, what is your agency? And so if someone brought that to me from the start, I would want to know what their agency is. And it would be great if the mom contacted that broker and said, I have a referral. It's my daughter. I have an active license, but I'm not really doing much with it. I want to refer to you and for 25%. If that conversation doesn't happen and the train's going down the tracks to just jump up is completely out of bounds. And if it were me, I'd probably tell them no. Yeah, and I, that's kind of the conclusion I came to. And I said, you know, this needed to be addressed kind of on both parts. The person asking for the money needed to do it ahead of time. But the person that, like Steve said, is now held hostage, you kind of need to have that discussion as uncomfortable as it is at the point of intersection there, even though it's too far down the line already. So they're kind of both to blame in my book for those reasons. The Masters in Real Estate is a phenomenal resource for referrals But I think there is a limit to the depth it can go as far as distance, okay? And I want to bring up a specific incident that was on here in the the past month. A realtor went on there and said, I'm looking for an agent to refer Toledo, Ohio. And it was crickets chirping. (laughs) There was not a single comment, okay? I can't remember the distance or the, the length of time that went by, but that same agent posted it again okay once again no comment so here's my thing on that okay first of all the further you get away the less likely it is going to be that there's somebody that knows somebody 
So I, I think the Toledo, Ohio thing was okay to throw out there once, but when you didn't get any responses that first time, I think it's a foregone conclusion. And, and even then it's, it might be questionable. That's a pretty far distance away. And I know we've got a lot of realtors that are on this thread. That's a very, very far market. And I don't know, it just seems like it was throwing a little mud at the wall. What do you think, Joe? Well, you know, I think it's worth a shot. You know, what's interesting about masters, and this was a topic once, it was how much do you guys come here and post and how many of you are just lurkers? And I think maybe the first post that, you know, 50 people ever wrote was I'm a lurker. And then I never heard anything <laughs> after that. It gets seen by a lot of people. And hey, you know, if someone said, hey, do you have someone you could recommend for me in North Plains? Well, North Plains really isn't that far away from me here. You know, it's an hour drive or something. But if I don't know anyone that I could recommend, I mean, I don't. I'm not going to recommend anyone that I don't think is absolutely an all-star. Who's Is Toledo I mean, even a big city in Ohio? It's a lower price market, so the referral <laughs> fee would not have been very big. <laughs> yeah. But there's other means. I mean, after Masters, you can check online, check all the designations. and But you got to do some sleuthing. I mean, this is a very important thing. It's an extension of you. And where your real estate transaction leaves off with these people, where they're going is going to complete the circle of their selling and buying process. And it's so drastically important. And it shouldn't be taken lightly by just going online and some service and saying, here, you farm it out to whoever signed up with your website. And if anyone bites, I get a referral fee. I mean, I kind of want I'm closer to it than that. I need to know that these people are awesome. And you can tell with just a 15-minute conversation and some email correspondence back and forth, you can pretty much get them to the right person. It's a great way to run your business. And so I wholeheartedly agree with that point. I stand corrected. Toledo, Ohio is about a quarter million people. So okay. there but you have it. It is a heavily cash flow type market for investment real estate. So it's lower dollar, not a big referral fee to be had unless you're buying one of the four McMansions in Toledo, probably. So Yeah. Well, let's go on to our last one, guys, and then we got to wrap up. We'll be quick on this one. So this one was the Seattle agents who created a marketing piece. They got a lot of backlash on this, including some press coverage, and there was a lot of comments on the Masters in Real Estate about it. Go ahead, and uh, one of you two want to jump in and talk about it? Yeah, I'll, I'll start it, and then I'll, we'll see what you know uh, Joe's thoughts are. I don't want to throw them to the wolves here, but uh, I'll, I'll tee it up nicely. So basically, it appeared that they were two gentlemen, from what I gathered, that basically put together a marketing piece that displayed like a photograph, essentially, what their business looks like compared to, say, a part-time agent's business. So it had them dressed in suits, you know, cell phone to the ear or in an office environment. And then the part-time agent picture next to it was a mom with like three kids draped over her and crap everywhere. And it basically said, who would you choose, right? Something to that effect. Does that look right, Steve? Absolutely, yes. That was it. So I guess, Joe, without putting you in the hot seat, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. What, what do you think of the ad campaign? Well, there, there's two sides of it. And this kind of is what I touched on earlier, that two of our topics are very much the same, and it's about political correctness, right? We're in an overly sensitive world, but with their ad, uh, could I back it? And do I think it's good? No. I thought it was terrible. They got such backlash, they ended up getting fired. It was terrible. Not all ads are ads where you can put a picture of someone next to you. 
yeah, you can see them as full-time and say all their characteristics of what's fabulous about being full-time professionals. But whatever picture you put next to you, or do you want this, and say that this is your halftime person, whatever gender, whatever race, whatever they look like, whatever that picture shows you is going to work against you because you're going to be offending somebody. If there was no picture, could I back being full-time versus hiring part-time? Absolutely. Everything we do that is important to us, whether it has to deal with our medical well-being, you know, the equity in our house, our finances through the securities guy and investor, nobody wants a guy that just got his license and been doing it for, for three months. Everybody wants a full-time professional. You want the doctor that did your surgery 50,000 times, not, hey, congratulations, you're the first surgery I've ever done since med school. Okay, it is important. It's a super point. But just like the homeless thread, their intention was good and their point was good. Their execution sucked bad. So that absolutely didn't work. Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Joe, you said it perfectly. I mean, I think I'm, I'm reading some of the posts here. It says here, whoa, not cool. Wow, I understand the validity of wanting a full-time agent versus one that is part-time and does real estate more on the side. However, the images they chose to portray, both those things of both those things are totally sexist and stereotypical. Just because I have small children doesn't mean I'm not a kick-ass agent and I'm more than full-time. So they were onto something in the right way, but they executed incorrectly on it. I don't know if you create a marketing piece about this at all, ever. I agree. If you do, you just don't have pictures comparing people. Maybe you say, you know, as a full-time agent, this is what we offer, and you have some bullet points, and then your picture alone. But I didn't realize they had gotten fired from their job. I mean, I don't know these guys, and I think they probably had better intentions than the, this made them out to have. And I'm sure they learned a very valuable lesson in the process, and they've paid a very, very dear price, both in their business and professional and maybe even personal lives. But it is a lesson for all of us, you know, when you create anything in writing be it an email or a marketing piece or a podcast even for that matter you are immortalizing that to time indefinite and you just have to be really careful you never know how that's going to come back on you and your business and you just always want to be conscientious of that yeah i think that pretty much sums it up that was a good answer though joe i threw you to the wolves and and you fended well there so yeah. i have to applaud you for that but you know, I agree. It was not done in a tasteful manner. I think the overall message is one that you could kind of repaint in a different light and, and use it as a marketing piece. But I think that the way that they did it obviously lacked some taste and it definitely spurred some emotions, you know, mainly on the negative side from people. But the message I agree with because, you know, I wouldn't hire anybody that's not full time. But, you know, that's your job as the consumer to you know, figure out who your guy is or gal, whoever it may be. And so it's your job to decide whether or not the half-timer is good enough for you or whether or not you want to keep looking and find somebody that's full-time. Here's a crazy question for you. What if that part-time agent had been a man? Do you think there would have been the backlash? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah you think so? It, I just uh, was reading a little bit of something I wrote that said, I'm sure we can all agree that to be effective in advertising, you need to recognize your audience and predict their approval or disapproval of your marketing piece. And this is the type of a marketing piece that 
you can't make yourself look better by ripping someone apart and saying, this is your part timer. It was a mother with three kids and the pictures were crooked and crayon writing on the wall and all that stuff. It's terrible. It's terrible marketing unless they're only marketing to male chauvinist pigs. That's going to be their client base. <laughs> Aside from that, which they might be, and maybe, maybe some of those won't even like it, but it, it was a horrible marketing piece. And the concept though was solid. It was a solid concept. Their execution failed miserably. And we're in a PC world and everyone gets offended about even things that aren't even offensive these days. So definitely don't, don't be that, offensive. <laughs> I don't know that they should have had flaming arrows shot at them at the capacity of getting fired. I knew that they were going to take flack. You know, we might take flack for what was said on this podcast, given the homeless people. But to compare yourselves to the... I know single mothers who have kids in real estate who were the quickest to get back to me. They did their job. They're outstanding. Their marketing was impeccable. Absolutely fabulous. I don't care if you've been doing this 25 years and you're seasoned and, and experienced. It doesn't mean you return your calls, you're ethical or anything else. So, you know, I do understand you're a full-time professional realtor. I would pick or a full-time professional anyone that I deem is good and professional and has my best interests at heart. I will hire them over a part-timer just about in anything. But as far as advertising comes, you sort of have to be the human chameleon and appeal to everybody. So their message was delivered on a dirty plate. Yeah. As we wrap up, guys, I just want to throw out there my disclaimer. I love homeless people. I love referrals to Toledo. <laughs> I love part-time mom realtors. And no animals were hurt in the production of this show. I, I like that, Steve. I don't particularly care for homeless people as much as you do. I definitely don't like the tweakers in Southeast Portland, but I do like full-time agents, and I have nothing against single moms with children that are agents that are good at their job. So There you go. Well, so. I won't comment on any of that. I will comment that I am adamant, and my passion is masters in real estate and the integrity of that group. And if it's breached in any way, it won't be quite the group it is. So that's my passion. I kind of throw it out there to the listener audience that, you know, look at the question that's asked and try not to pick apart semantically what is said or what is not said. You said he and you should have said he or she or any of that stuff. Let's just talk about real estate and grow our professionalism and experience and knowledge 20% a year. That's my hope. Totally agree, Joe. And I think that you do a great job of facilitating the group and, and posing questions and, and topics that make people think. And so that's why we were able to pull these three topics from the group over the last month or so here and, you know, have a lively discussion about them that hopefully you guys enjoyed and so did our listeners. So thanks for joining us. I think our first best of masters in real estate was a great success and it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Absolutely, thanks guys. guys. Have a great rest of the week. All right, guys, this is episode 12 of the Portland real estate podcast. We're signing off until next week. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.